You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. And this is Real Presence Live in studio here. Steve Sponskowski on with Tom O'Keefe. Tom, how's our morning going? What do you think? I think it's going really well. Uh, very inspiring for me, and I hope so for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. An invitation, folks, again, to take that moment and ask the Lord um, how he's trying to have you encounter him today. Take, again, that five, that five minutes of silence, or even just take a second if you could and say, Hey, Lord, um, where are you at right now? How can I encounter you today? It's an invitation um, for that encounter with him. And this, in this hour, we're going to have a conversation with Bishop John Fold of the Diocese of Fargo. Good morning, Father. Bishop. Good morning, Steve. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. It's good to be with you. Yeah, we had an important, important announcement uh, just came across the news. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Important really is an understatement, <laughs> yes. Steve. Yeah, we just found out that the Supreme Court voted to overturn Roe v. Wade, uh, the decision from 1973 that legalized abortion in all 50 states. And uh, the court, thanks be to God, has uh, recognized the, the flaw in, in that case and has overturned it. Thanks be to God. We're, we're delighted, uh, you know, that the, the possibility of uh, defending the lives of all children is now once again open to us in all 50 states. Uh, including right here in North Dakota. So what a, what a beautiful and a, a great day this is. The response to uh, a lot of prayers, a lot of very, very hard work for many, many decades. Um, you know, the interesting thing that occurs to me is that for a long time, uh, people have been saying this, is just, this issue is done and over. Uh, you people just need to get over it. Well, we never have. And I think that's because uh, the people of this nation recognize the dignity of, of human life, even in the womb. And uh, so it, it's just a, a cause for great joy that this decision has been uh, handed down by the court. Um, you know, as I've said on a number of other occasions, that doesn't mean our work is done. You know, we're going to still have a lot of work to do to keep building up a culture of life and uh, to keep working for uh, the mothers and the, the children that they carry. Uh, but you know, this is a great moment. It's a, it's a great day for all of us. Well, I think you make a great point, Bishop Folda, talking about how there, there is a, there's a reason we got here. There's a reason why Roe v. Wade happened. Um, and oftentimes, I think I love the line where we talk about making abortion unthinkable. Right. Um, and we, you know, I, I even look at kind of the things that are happening with, with massacres with guns and gun laws. There's something going on here, kind of a, a lack of an understanding of the value of life. Uh, how, do, how do we go back and say, like you said, the battle's not over. The battle for life is, is still here. And in a certain sense, it's only begun because we, now we get to start over to, uh, it, on another level. Well, it's true. There's, there is a, you know, what Pope St. John Paul II called a culture of death has really taken hold of our culture, of our society. Uh, and yeah, we see violence happening in so many different ways. And why should we be surprised? Because in these last years, we've been fed this, uh, this line that, you know, you can even take the life of a child, of a baby, and do so with impunity. So, yeah, it's true. We have a lot of work to do. We have to go back and we have to reassert what, what we have always believed, and that is that every life is um, created in the image of God, in the image and likeness of God. And 
Every life deserves uh, protection. Every life is to be cherished. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have a lot of work to do, teaching and uh, certainly continuing to pray and make sacrifices and by our example, above all, I think, to, to show by the way we live that life matters and that we're serious about this. We, we talked earlier, uh, Bishop, about the role of charity and, and, and how it, it stems from the Eucharist. And Steve talked about some of these other tragedies that go on. And people look to these, this taking of life as, an, as a solution to their pain and to their problems. And, uh, and as, as a church, we need to reach out in that charity to help them with whatever problem that is, to, to, to move them away from that ideology. It's very true. You know, one of the um, narratives that has been out there for quite some time is that the church really doesn't care about uh, the child or the mom after birth. Well, that's just simply false. It always has been false. Um, certainly, we defend the, uh, the life of the child before birth, but we also are there and have been there to help after birth as well. We've been uh, supporting moms in need and, you know, to, as the campaign that recently began says, we've been walking with moms in need for decades now and and we're going to continue to do that and I'm sure that, you know, we're going to even uh, build on those efforts and even redouble them so that so that women really never think that abortion is their only choice and and so that all people in this country would come to realize that abortion is unthinkable. You know, we, we've seen this kind of a great conversion of heart before. There was a time when slavery was just acknowledged as, as a given. But now I, I think that's just recognized as being preposterous. And we need to get that to that same place with abortion. So with God's grace, we will. You know, we're talking about this time of the Eucharistic revival and the opportunity that that has to the church, just just in our in our own, in our own hearts and our own parishes. But it seems to me a little bit like things are kind of aligning here with with this decision and the Eucharistic revival that that, that something great can happen here. Very true. You know, it's it's no accident that today is the solemnity of the Sacred Heart when we really uh, recognize the unbounded love and mercy of God, and that. That's shown to us in this Supreme Court decision that God's grace is at work to kind of pull us up from this morass that we've been in. But it's also very, very evident every time we celebrate the Mass, every time we celebrate the Eucharist, receive the Eucharist, pray before the Eucharist. Um, I think during this Eucharistic revival that we've just begun throughout the nation and including in our own diocese, we're being called back to our Lord. We're being called back to a deeper faith, uh, an encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist. He's the source of, of all grace for each one of us and for the church, really for our whole world, for the culture too. And and so, yeah, this, this Eucharistic revival really is a moment of grace for all of us. You know, I think of the, a lot of the language that's being used, and I know the media is going to be unpacking this all day long, um, so make sure you listen to the media that's telling the truth, <laughs> at least you know, Catholic media um, that's giving you the truth here on this topic. But the, you, the phrase that's being used is that the precedent has been removed, the precedent for Ro- Roe v. Wade. So that it makes me think of, too, that going back to that, that idea of, you know, how did we get here? 
yeah. and, and that our hearts are in a certain place. And so now we get to go back, and as we've been talking all morning, Tom, about an encounter with Christ in order for us to be truly changed. I mean, I can go to the Eucharist, and I can go through all the prayers and all the sacraments, and I was just reading yesterday about Mother Teresa, who are actually listening to a talk uh, Monsignor Tom Richter gave about Mother Teresa sending a letter to her sister saying, if you don't have a personal encounter with Christ, all your Eucharistic adoration, all your prayers, they are for naught. They're for nothing. So if we don't have that personal encounter with Christ, this precedent being removed will be a loss to us. We have to encounter Christ in this moment and say, now, Lord, how as Christians do we go into the world and make a difference? How do, how do we, Bishop? I mean, the, I, Pope Paul VI talks about evangelization as a bringing of the gospel message of Jesus Christ into hum, every human situation. What does that look like? Well, it looks different from, from every personal encounter from one to the next. Um, you know, we're... we're carrying Christ within us by virtue of our faith, by virtue of the grace that that dwells within us through that faith. And I think that especially through compassion, through through works of charity, through the mercy, through the, the outreach that we do to those in need, um, we are manifesting the presence of Christ in the world. The Eucharist is the real presence of Christ, but he lives in each one of us through grace. And he sends us forth. You know, Pope Francis calls every one of us uh, as baptized Christians to be a missionary disciple. And that word missionary means that we're sent out. We're believers. We're disciples. We're followers, to be sure. But it's not enough just to believe and sit there. You know, you gotta you got to believe and take it out into the world. And you do that in the most ordinary encounters that you have with others. And some of those are going to be... Um, memorable and some of those are going to be very forgettable but in all things our lord is forming us and and the more we come into touch with him in this personal relationship with with the eucharist with christ in the eucharist the more he's going to be able to form our hearts and form our lives and the more he's going to be able to work through us to touch the lives of others so you know what you say is very true we can't just uh rest on our laurels here and we can't be content with um, just going through the motions, especially when it comes to our Eucharistic faith. Our Lord is inviting us to something deeper, and I think that's what this Eucharistic revival is going to be about for all of us. And I love how you say, Bishop, it's about charity, it's about compassion, because as we talked about going into this break, um, you know, we act out of our woundedness. We all act out of our woundedness. I, I recognize that in my own life, there are things that I do because of the way I was raised. There were things that I experienced in my life. There are fears that I have. We all act out of a woundedness. And if we recognize in one another, what we're doing here is we're choosing sin because of a wound that we're seeing this as a good. And recognize that in the people around us and try to help you know, heal that woundedness. And of course, Christ is the absolute, the absolute healer. We do have to step away for a break. Um, I want to talk about a little more, more about this on the other side of the break because, Bishop, in your homily on Sunday, you talk about being Eucharistic, Eucharistic missionary disciples. And of course, that leads us right into the Eucharistic revival. And on the other side, we want to talk a little bit about your personal journey, Bishop, about you, maybe your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist. But we do have to take a break. This is Real Presence Live in studio. It's Tom O'Keefe and Steve Splonskowski along with Bishop Folda. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 
If you are experiencing depression, anxiety, or suffering, especially from grieving, how can you find healing? I'm Father Chris Alar. While you should first seek professional help when needed, there is a roadmap that can help you to live your life again, and it is called the Spiritual Principles of Divine Mercy. First, come to admit that you are powerless over the loss of your loved one. Second, come to trust that Jesus can restore your life to manageability. And third, make the decision to entrust your will, your life, and your loved one to the loving care and protection of God. Join us and learn more about how to apply these healing principles in your life. Please visit suicideandhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. And uh, I remember when uh, they came around looking for donations at the churches and they were trying to get it started. And it really hit me when, I don't even remember who it was, came around, but it was just like, I think that I need this. Because I wanted to be be fed. Uh, I wasn't taking time to read my Bible or any of that, but I just knew. It was like, well, if I could listen to stuff on the radio like he talked about. And so it, it was everything that it said and more, you yeah. know, in all reality. So. It doesn't take a lot of effort. To turn it on. It does not take a lot of effort. You know, sometimes, really, it, I'm going to back up on that and say it, it, it almost does. Because if you want to be drawn in and contemplate what is all being said on the radio, there's a lot of stuff that gets kind of deep. It's like, well, it makes you contemplate. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, okay, am I, am I ready to, to take this food in and digest it and all that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the spiritual food. So, yeah, it's it's been, it's been really good for me from from my faith walk you're listening to real presence live on the real presence radio network join the conversation on our facebook page or on twitter and be sure to like and follow us for more great catholic content now back to the show and this is Real Presence Live in studio here. Tom O'Keefe and Steve Splinskowski, along with the Bishop John Fold of the Diocese of Fargo. We're talking about the Eucharist and, of course, about life, which, of course, the Eucharist gives life. And so we want to talk this half hour, this uh, 30 or 15 minutes, Bishop, about your own journey. So can you take us back? Just a couple of years, uh, as far as you know, as far as you'd like to go, to when you maybe encountered Christ for the first time. What did that look like? That's a long time back there, Christopher. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I remember as as a, a young child going to mass with my parents. Of course, we, my mom and dad were very faithful churchgoers. We always went to mass. I would have to say probably my f- first real memorable uh, encounter would be would have been my first communion because you know a big deal is is made of your first communion and for good reason. But I I just remember. How excited we all were, and it wasn't just an event. It was wasn't just a party, but it really was uh, a, a very important spiritual milestone. And I remember it that way. Um, you know, growing up, I also remember being part of different uh, events when I was in high school. I think that we we did some uh, youth retreats that really left a, a mark on me. They really impacted me. I always believed in the faith. I always believed in the Eucharist. There was never any doubt uh, in my mind or heart about the Eucharist being Christ himself. But I think on those retreats that I was on during those experiences, I think I really kind of came 
face-to-face in a personal way with our Lord in a way that I hadn't before. And certainly when I went to college, I was reacquainted with uh, Eucharistic adoration. Uh, The Newman Center that I attended had Eucharistic adoration on a regular basis. And it's interesting because I remember that from when I was a, a young kid, but then it seems like Eucharistic adoration sort of went by the wayside in many parishes. And when I experienced that again when I was in college, I think I was at a moment where I was ready to recognize the beauty of Christ among us in the Eucharist. And uh, that was that too. It really left a, a significant mark on my heart and impacted my vocational journey as well. I think I, I saw Christ in the Eucharist. I recognized he was... Uh, close to me through the Eucharist, and I wanted to be close to him, too. I love how you shared numerous encounters with Christ Bishop, because I think <laughs> it's it's a great point, uh, at least it illustrates a great point to me, that we encounter Christ throughout our life. Right. Um, and I, I know our Christian brethren, they use that phrase, um, you know, have you accepted Jesus Christ your, as your personal Lord and Savior? I, I love that line, because my response is, yes, every morning I have to wake up and accept Jesus Christ right. in a personal encounter with him. Um, so, let take us a little deeper, Bishop. What what is what does your morning look like? You know, how, you know, you, I know a lot of people do the examine in the evening or in the morning or they do morning prayer. How does how does your day start and how does your day end with the Lord? Well, I'm very blessed, Steve. I have a chapel in my house, and so uh, I think you would say that I'm spoiled. I can make a visit to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament um, pretty much any time that I'm at home, and we have a chapel in our office too, and so I'm able to do the same thing there. Um, Early in the day, you know, I make sure to make some time for prayer, obviously. Uh, I say Mass various times during the the day, depending on my daily schedule. Sometimes I'll have Mass in a parish. Sometimes I'll have Mass at the pastoral center chapel. Sometimes I'll just have Mass in the chapel at my home if I don't have a public event. So, you know, I try to start the day with, uh, with prayer before our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. For me, that's the best place to be when I'm praying. Um, morning prayer is part of the liturgy of the hours, which every priest and religious celebrates. Many lay people celebrate it as well. Uh, so I have that universal prayer of the church in morning prayer uh, that I pray every day and the hours throughout the day. And then in the evening, and I have to confess, I'm kind of a night owl. I like to pray in the evening because things are, are very quiet and sort of unrushed, you might say. Um, so I like to just go into the chapel when things are quiet, and and just be there again with our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Once in a while, we have we, we can have adoration of the Eucharist exposed in our chapel, and, and that too is a, a very beautiful thing. So you might say those are kind of the bookends, and I try to pray throughout the day, you know, off and on, as the schedule allows, and I find that it's, it's absolutely necessary for my work and my life as a bishop to to try to pray always, as we read in the scriptures. Um, But, yeah, the morning begins with prayer, the day ends with prayer, and uh, uh, the Eucharist is right at the center of it all for me. That's, for me, the the best way to pray. Absolutely. You know, I was, uh, the other day, my daughter, Claire, said to me, so, Dad, since you're working with the Eucharistic Revival, how would you explain to people why you believe Jesus Christ is truly present in the Eucharist? I'm like, uh, we're driving. <laughs> I said, ooh, that's, that's, that's a hard question other than, well, because Jesus said so. Right. Um, 
But uh, how would you answer that question, Bishop? Well, I think it is a theological question, and it's a biblical question. Jesus said so. You're right, Steve. He did. You know, he said at the Last Supper, this is my body, this is my blood. And that was reinforced in uh, the words that he spoke in the sixth chapter of John when he says to them, uh, my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. He, you know, he lays out the whole basis for this understanding that we have of the Eucharist as the real presence, the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus himself. And then going a step further, you realize very soon, as soon as you start to um, look at the, the history and the life of the church, from the very beginning, that has been the faith of the church. The first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, which is probably the earliest, or possibly the, the earliest, one of the earliest New Testament uh, letters, Paul passes on these words of our Lord. Um, at the Last Supper, Paul says, you know, when we eat the bread, uh, we're, we're partaking of the body in Christ. And similarly with uh, the blood of Christ, by receiving the, the wine, of course, we know it's not bread, it's not wine. It is the body and blood of Christ. And then going forward, all through the life of the church, from the earliest, earliest days, the earliest records that we have, we know that the real presence of Christ was the faith of the church in the Eucharist. And, you know, off and on, there were aberrations, there were deviations from that faith, but the church always corrected those, always responded back and said, no, 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 this, this has always been our faith that was given to us by Christ and the apostles. So I put my faith in what Christ gave to us. I put my faith in what the church has always believed. And... For me personally, it resonates. You know, faith is a gift, uh, and and I'm very blessed. You know, that gift has been given to me. I'm able to um, assent to that belief of the church that the Eucharist is Christ. Bishop, we've taken the opportunity to use a couple of the pages out of the Year of the Eucharist book, and Good. and I pulled this out earlier. And it's interesting how it comes here. It says, "Faith is the sure knowledge that truth speaks truth to us for our happiness." We have a responsibility to grow in faith, especially regarding Christ's gift of himself in the Eucharist. And I know from, from my own journey, you know, it, we make it so complicated, it can be so simple. Ask and you shall receive. To, to sit there and, and ask the Lord to give me more faith in the Eucharist. Help me believe in you more. And then I find myself, a few months later, I'm praying about something else because he has given that to me. Hmm. I can move on to the next thing that, that I need from him. So truly... And that, that faith comes down sometimes just to that choice. I choose to believe. I choose to love. I agree. I agree. And I think just being in the presence of our Lord, he reinforces that faith. You experienced it. I've experienced it many times, too. I think that, you know, our, our Eucharistic faith really is a relationship. I think our Lord is calling us into an, a personal encounter, uh, an ongoing relationship. And a relationship is strengthened when we spend time with each other, and that's what we're invited to uh, before our Lord in the Eucharist. He's asking us to be with him so that he can be with us, and uh, um, the Eucharist really is, I think I said this in my homily last weekend, it's this tangible sign of the relationship that we have with our Lord and the gift, you use that word, Tom, the gift that he makes of himself to us. He did that from the cross 
And he continues to do that every time we celebrate the Eucharist, which simply represents that that once and for all sacrifice that Christ made to save us. And how much more personal can it be? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Than, than the gift of himself in, in his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And I think the, the word personal is very important. Again, it's very easy for us to kind of get accustomed to the routine and to go through the motions, uh, to be distracted, but... But it's it's more than just um, a ritual that we repeat again and again and again. It really is a personal relationship that we're invited to. And uh, it's a deep and, and very, very heart-touching encounter uh, if we want it to be, if we allow it to be. Well, I love also, Bishop, in your homily, how you talked about, you offered a challenge. You know, to those of you who, are, who truly believe in the Eucharist, great. If you're struggling, take it to the Lord. It makes me think of, you know, in Scripture, uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right. as he, speaking, you know, to the, the man he healed. Uh, you know, that's a, it's a challenge for us. And I, I, going back to the personal relationship, right, in any situation where we struggle in a relationship, if I go to the other this person in the relationship saying, I'm struggling, help me. That builds the relationship, right? Of so, course. So how do we go to the Lord and say, here's where I'm at? I think you do exactly that. You go to the Lord. I think you just lay out before him what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your life, and uh, you hold nothing back because he certainly doesn't. And uh, I think you're just as honest with our Lord as you can possibly be and, and realize that he accepts us as we are. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And that's, that's true in these Eucharistic moments. Uh, you know, we can come before him with complete confidence, without fear. You know, our Lord is waiting for us, you might say, with open arms. And uh, I, I think that when we come to him and we just place, place our heart right out there for him, he he embraces us so warmly, so willingly. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I've had many experiences of sitting in prayer even uh, and, and feeling, you know, kind of dry. I think we all have that. Dryness in prayer is just a very, very common thing. And yet, it's never wasted time because uh, we're with the one who loves us more than anyone else. And I think those those it's almost like an entrustment, Steve. You just have to trust our Lord and put yourself before him, put yourself in his hands and allow him to to embrace you and he does he does you know it's a uh, it's an act of faith to be sure, but I think if we trust him, he's going to repay that trust a thousand times over in so many different ways, and we're going to find as time goes on that even in those kind of very quiet, almost dry moments of prayer when it seems like nothing is happening, you know, there's no fireworks, there's no, you know, great spiritual experiences. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because he's there anyway. He's with us anyway. And the great spiritual authors tell us that it's in those moments that he's actually even stretching our hearts. He's um, expanding our capacity to receive the grace that he wants to give to us. It's not all about how we feel, but it's about what he's accomplishing within us. And that's why, again, I, for me personally, praying before our Lord in the Eucharist is, is the way to go. That's, that's my favorite way of praying. 
Wonderful. Well, we're at the bottom of the hour here. We do have to step away for a break. Uh, Bishop John Fuller, thank you so much for being here with us this half hour. Great conversation, and thank you for your leadership. And uh, know of our prayers for you, and keep us in your prayers. Thank you, and I do pray for you all the time. Absolutely. Folks, Real Presence Live, we're going to step away on the other side of the break. We're going to come back and talk with Father James Ermer about uh, the teachings of the Catholic faith in the Eucharist. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 